Welcome to this special episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast. I am your host, Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. And this is a recording of a panel at the special edition New York Comic Con. It's called Secret Identities, Transgender Themes. And the moderator, Charles Battersby uh, did a great job in, uh, you know, introducing the topic, introducing all of the panelists and giving everybody plenty of time to speak and, um, it was a very educational panel because they really didn't let it go off on any kind of social political tangents or um, or get into really very, very personal stories. It was specifically about how the representation of transgender characters in comics has evolved over time. And one of the key points that I personally found, found very interesting was that they point out how transgender characters and themes were things that were actually done more as trickery um, when a character would, for example, just cross-dress or go in disguise in order to try and deceive an opponent. And then it really, for the longest time, had nothing to do with gender identity. And now that is completely different. So, um, I think that it's a really fantastic panel, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. So, of course, uh, feel free to send in your comments and feedback. Morgan Bocher, author and illustrator of What's Normal Anyway, um, which started in 2010 when I came out as trans guy and began transitioning from female to male. Um, it started as a webcomic where I would update once a week, uh, every week for over three years until it grew into a comic book funded by Kickstarter, and that's where it is now. Yo! 
Europe costumes represent any kind of societal outcast. Uh, and in this case, um, Scarlet is persecuted because he dresses funny, uh, but he also encounters a whole other level of persecution because it's the 1940s, and it's a fella dressed like a lady. <laughs> Uh, so there are lots of jokes where we're you know, pointing our fingers back and laughing at the way society used to be, uh, but also talking about the way that uh, transgender rights is the last frontier uh, in civil rights that we're seeing in the 21st century. So there are a lot of metaphors that I put in, uh, even though it's all for fun and a lot of jokes. There are a lot of serious metaphors um, you can see in the bottom left-hand corner. The Scarlet Skunk dies at dawn. Uh, there are other references there to the very uh, disproportionately large amount of uh, violent deaths that occur in the transgender community. Uh, and I do have to stress, it's a comedy, but we use this storyline to address a serious issue. And uh, later on, we're going to talk about a lot of the cheesy old stories that were written in the 30s and 40s and 50s uh, to see whether or not the writers at that time were trying to make a social message and hid it under a silly, let's go in disguise as an old lady story. Uh, and uh, to discuss a little more about um, present day interpretations of what it's like to be a transgender person, Morgan wrote a terrific uh, comic called uh, Where Does Print Sexuality Come From? which addresses some of the viewpoints and theories that you'll find floating around out there, even in the 21st so to start, I offer you a comic reading, in case you can't read it in the type up there. <clears throat> Where does transsexuality come from? It comes from a bathing of opposite sex hormones during in utero development. Time for today's interference. It comes from early childhood socialization. Mom's doing an oil change, so I must be a boy. It comes from tragic mental illness. We're so different, how could we not be crazy? It comes from the deepest wells of the world's evils. <laughs> Taking these hormones will surely piss off God. <laughs> it comes. It comes from we don't really know. Who the hell cares? So um, this, uh, I usually take this comic as a printout um, to, to give away at conferences, and it always uh, just gets snapped up. And I think some of the popularity in it um, comes from. The uh, the frustration that a lot of people, that a lot of trans people find in um, in people asking you know why are you this way or you know why aren't you normal why aren't you <laughs> like the rest of us you're different like something must have happened right um, and I think that can be kind of a dangerous mindset for a society to assume oh to apply um, a because to a person's identity because it single somebody out and just that and automatically marginalizes them as well. And so this is one of the aims of my comic other than, you know, the primary aim is just to make people laugh and enjoy it, but also to uh, offer a glimpse of some of the experiences that a person with trans experience encounters and you know, kind of what it feels like to be pegged as different and not normal, whatever that may be. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, the story follows the um, transition of a young trans man who's also transitioning out of college, which is happened to me as well. I came out and began transitioning at the beginning of 2010 when I was just graduating college, and everything about life was completely changing, and um, this comic was a great way to channel that uh, turmoil, I guess, and confusion creative outlet. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and, I, and while we're on the subject of normal, um, the polite uh, term for saying not transgender is cisgender, so that's a term you're going to be hearing uh, every now and then on this panel. Um, right, and that also indicates the um, uh, the otherness, or like painting a trans person is different, is to by using the term non-transgender, you're bringing attention to the, the term transgender as you know, the, the thing that's not the default.
you're not transgender, then you must be a default. So the word cisgender is used to um, you know, show how like everybody has an identity, even people who, you know, whether you're trans or cisgender. So that's where that kind of language becomes helpful. Just a, a question of clarification. I don't know how many people in the audience know, but what does the cis come from? I tried looking on the wiki and I couldn't find a, a region or that, that term or that it was a biological term, um, meaning same side. I think the idea there is that um, cisgender people are born, they're assigned the gender that they identify with, whereas trans people uh, don't usually end up identifying with the gender that they're born with. So for example, I was born female, but it turns out I didn't identify that way. So I'm trans. Okay, so documentaries and history. 
I'm not uh, really a reader of prose, because um, I write for living. <laughs> but, uh, you know, words and pictures come up, that's my deal. Um, but I had really been very reluctant to tackle any trans stories because I really didn't think I came from that perspective uh, until um, I started to realize that I had accepted being a lesbian at about age 20 or so, but I had grown up being butch. I mean, there was always this question of my gender, there was always this pressure from my parents that I wasn't feminine enough, um, you know, to, to prove that I was indeed female. And it really didn't click with me until, you know, I started getting more immersed in the arts and, and the community. It's like, you know, I, I think there's a validity there of looking at it from that perspective. So if you guys have not heard of the movie Albert Nobbs, where Glenn Close played a woman who um, lived her life as a man in Ireland, um, I kind of, you know, realized at the end of the film, you know, there was this idea of exploration of, okay, you know, if you have a woman as a man who agrees in a partnership with another woman to make a public marriage and they raise a son, you know, where would that go? So that was actually the inspiration of the short story that I in that first book, Because of Race. Um, and then the second book about the LGBT pirate crew, uh, it, believe it or not, I am so jaded that the idea of an LGBT pirate crew was not interesting to me. Um, it was like, you know, it's so cliche, it's like, you know, you know, people just do this. And then, you know, from my activist background, I realized, you know, if I take it from the perspective of a group of people who came together and formed a community and a family rather than their individual stories, which I've seen, you know, in the real world, where people bond together because their biological families or their original families discarded them, that was a lot more interesting to me. And so that's where I just said, okay, well, you know, if we're gonna have a forcible situation in a fantasy environment, let's put them on a ship and make them a kick-ass pirate crew, and let's just go with them. <laughs> so that's, um, like I said, positive stuff. Not to say there isn't angst, but there's, you know, some positive <laughs> <laughs> right, Now, as you notice from the uh, graphic when we came in today, uh, there have been a lot of stories and a lot of characters in the 80 years that comic books have existed. Uh, so it would take us three or four hours <coughs> to just list everyone from Madame Fable up until uh, whoever it was that was introduced this month. I'm sure that there's been a new uh, shape-changing or transgender or alternate universe story this month. Uh, so we can't talk about them all, but we can talk about the general uh, themes that keep popping up in stories, not just comic books, but in fiction in general. Uh, so if you do take a look at the upper left-hand corner, you'll see the little old lady, uh, who I believe chronologically is the first character that ever addressed any transgender issue, Madame Fatal who was a young man that dressed up like a little old lady because it uh, helped him surprise the criminals. And he would beat them uh, with, his, with his old lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was, uh, I guess, in the 30s or 40s where everyone had really stupid superpowers. <laughs> that, that was his. Um, so um, uh, we won't go through everybody up there, but let's take a moment to talk about the concept of using gender change to appear weak for a man, or a female character changing gender to appear stronger. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny using gender as sort of a shock value, too. Um, uh, I think that's kind of the appeal in going to it for plot device as well, um, is because it's still so out of people's minds, or, you know, in mainstream consciousness. Um, to change gender like that. It's such a, uh, a violation. It's, uh, um, it's so unexpected in a lot of ways, too, because you feel like you know somebody and part of who they are is their gender that you know. And so when the switch happens, it totally changes that character for you or that person for you. So it's, yeah, kind of funny to see this, uh, I guess, highly characterized <laughs> character, like, using that and, uh, you know, that, that feeling of, like, <laughs> I think I think the fact that it's a, like a little old lady yeah. gives a little little extra like takes a little bit away from this sort of female equals weak aspect of it, I think. Um, but I laugh so hard because somebody actually pitched a story once that was very similar to that. <laughs> not not so distant past, but it wasn't it wasn't that they dressed up as a woman. It was that they the description was more like a, like as a like a fop in modern day, like sort of you know, with the intention of going. 
where it came from, and the script, it was just, uh, so that's why I left work. The, but the example that, that came to mind, because like I said, I, I didn't have a lot of comic book characters that came to mind, but uh, when you talk about sort of using gender roles such as sort of weakness and uh, indicators, I was thinking about Bugs Bunny and how often Bugs Bunny would, would dress up and drag uh, very happily and quickly. <laughs>
know, I found solace in the fact that it did address gender. Um, but yeah, it only went so far because it really uh, stayed pretty surface level. And um, I mean, it also was the butt of many jokes as well. The fact that, oh, you know, Rama's a, a girl now and he can like, touch her breasts and ha. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rama has been cursed. Yeah. Those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, Rama's the redhead on the left side of the screen. And, and, and the boy, too. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's another recurring thing that the character has been, you know, cursed with a gender change. Who would want that? And that raises the issue that sometimes when a writer does a silly thing like, Ranma, are they doing it as a joke, or is the writer uh, trying to create a character that will uh, impact transgender readers? And I think there are a few up there, uh, and a few that you may have read, uh, that the writer was trying to do something by creating this stupid character. Uh, you know, I, with Rama, I, I, I think that, that there was something going on there that's part of the culture, I think. I mean, you see a lot of characters uh, in general, especially ambiguity in terms of how they're drawn. And I feel like that's that's something I, I know I've, I've been to paying attention to a little bit more in the uh, modern that I've been reading, um, where it's really challenging not challenging, but it's just trying to figure out, like, okay, they're, they're taking this body type, putting it with this face. There's obviously a reason. It's not just sort of um, how comics are drawn. And, you know, it's, it's very conscious. And so I, I feel like it's, it's really good to right? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that she knew what she was doing. Like, I do. I feel like it was, it was part of something. But obviously with the surface level jokes, you know, hopefully it hits on multiple levels for people. But uh, I always felt like it was, it was part of the culture. As opposed to like Thor gets punished for, you know, for being too arrogant for the making of a woman. <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe that's bad. Not so much. Yeah, um, in terms of Lama, uh, actually, I'm a fan of the series. And if you don't know it, it is a comedy. Um, and the other elements about the series is that it's a cast of thousands. I mean, it, you know, any possible twist in, in the story of Rama being cursed. And a couple of the other things about the curse is that Rama is this martial artist. He must be the best martial artist he can ever be. Um, but unfortunately, he falls into this spring that um, when he gets splashed with cold water, he turns into a female. And when he gets splashed with hot water, he turns into a male. So it's not just a consistent curse uh, or just one gender identity. He flips back and forth. But at the same time, he also is betrothed to a girl who knows about the curse. So there's a lot of you know, nuances of her you know, trying to be OK with this. and, and Actually, pretty quickly into the series, she's not really bothered by the fact that he flips into, you know, um, female one moment and male next. She's pretty much just pissed because he's still an arrogant jerk no matter what she does. Yeah, so personality-wise, he's pretty consistent. Um, but, you know, in terms of, yes, it, it is very cultural. And like I said, it is a comedy. And if you read it, we're only through the end of the 36 volumes. Um, you know, it's actually a lot of nuances underneath it because there are other supporting characters where there are some gender assumptions and you find out you're wrong, and you know, there's an Amazon who's great, so you know, it's, it's very fun. I highly recommend it if you're into that kind of um, reading. Uh, and uh, speaking of Amazons, if you look on the far right hand side, you can see Wonder Man. <laughs> uh, DC Comics has an entire uh, parallel universe where. It's the same as ours, but gender is reversed. Uh, and this is a long-standing uh, theme in some of the uh, mainstream DC Universe comics that there is. Uh, everybody has a alternate gender counterpart in another universe. Uh, and on occasion, this is used for uh, some terrific stories. The one where uh, they depict all the Amazons as Spartans. Uh, which is a brilliant subversion of the cliche Amazon uh, character. And beneath that, you can see uh, Super Lad and Wonder Lad, who um, <laughs> were from the old days of the Silver Age, when uh, Superboy, oh no, he's been transported to this horrible alternate universe where people are a different gender. Um, and over the last, I guess, 50 years since they first started doing this, it has gotten a lot better. Have you 
Adventure Time. So Finn and Jake write the Yoda and Cake episodes, which, you know, from the Ice King's point of view, it's like his fanfic, uh, which, is, which is amazing in itself. But it's a, for a show that, that has been very popular for Cartoon Network, and as somebody who works in, in animation, I mean, I cannot even tell you the letters that we get from angry parents because there might have been something in a background that might indicate a thought about something that happened in The Exorcist once or something like that. <laughs> so it's really crazy. Like people hyper scrutinize everything we do, which is cool. Uh, <laughs> get those letters. But um, but in this particular case, that to just go out and have those episodes and and the way that they've been embraced. Um, I have a 13 year old son loves those episodes. Like never for a second did it buy, you know, like did he go like, oh that's weird. It's just like, oh that's cool, it's part of adventure time. And especially a lot of cons, I can't tell you the amount of, you know, the owners that I see walking around. Um, so I, I find that amazing. Like that I think is a pretty good example of somebody very honestly embracing. Okay, we're, we're doing the flip universe of the princes instead of princess, but she's always saving the princes. Um, on on a franchise that is a big Normally, corporations would be, I think, leery about doing that sort of stuff. Because they don't have the track record of a Batman or Superman. You do it at any kind of story you want, you know, it's going to still exist in 10 years from now. So, uh, I think, at least for me, it struck me as a pretty positive sign that there's some cool stuff going on, uh, both on the creative side and on the corporate side. I think it's definitely fun. I think it's, it's totally fun to imagine these characters as, yeah, the other gender, but what they do, how they act, how they dress, like all of it is, is totally fun. I love entertainment, you know, and cake and all that. Um, uh, however, I still think it's kind of safe in terms of uh, what it does to subvert anything. I mean, it probably doesn't. It's probably, you know, just like a really fun thing to do with cartoons. And, um, but, and not that it has to be anything more than that at all. Um, but yeah, in terms, and insofar as it doesn't really go any deeper, I wonder like how much it really um, can be related to a transgender, like a, a true transgender story, because um, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, it, it, there's just like so much more there under the surface, and to still even like the gender flip even sort of highlights the default gender of uh, Finn and Jake or the, um, the superhero universes as well. Because like, because uh, over here, they're in the opposite gender, it reinforces the original, in a sense, too. But yeah, I guess, I guess for, for the Adventure Time example, just as somebody with, uh, you know, uh, with my kids and watching them, much in the same way that, you know, you don't, you don't sit down and have the, the birth of these conversation all at once. Start out very yeah. slow. Yeah, you know, my friends were pointing this out to me, and they're like, Christine, you should check this out. And I was like, okay. 
Um, but what was interesting is that they licensed Sailor Moon, um, they had these different seasons, and the very last season, which was called Sailor Stars, was never licensed in the US in the first time around. And even though there were many companies in the US who wanted to bring it over, even just subtitle, that, you know, they wanted to license it, and the reason, um, the, I guess the official reason, I guess as it were, is that in Sailor Stars there were these three new sailors who um, were boys, but magically transferred into girls, and that was considered too controversial for the US market. And so, I think the media just recently announced that they licensed the entire original series to bring it back fully remastered, including Sailor Stars. Um, in time for the reboot of Sailor Moon, the full anime that's coming in Japan uh, later this year. So when you talk about, you know, the things have changed over time, it's like, okay, you know, 10 years ago we weren't even allowed to know about Sailor Stars in the U.S. and now, you know, we get the whole fanfare, like, hey, it's coming out of Everything like that, and oh, by the way, you know, that, that's just for you collectors. You want to pay attention to our newer That's funny. Uh, and speaking of how it's gotten more acceptable to have uh, any issue of gender discussed, let's talk about actual transgender characters. Characters who happen to be transgender people that are just appearing in a comic book. And if you have a look up there, um, you'll see many of these characters were introduced um, right from the beginning as out of the closet transsexual, or they were revealed uh, later on to be officially someone who just happens to be transsexual. There's a couple of drag queens up there, uh, and we also have one of my favorite characters, Zavin from Runaways, uh, who is a shaking alien, who can be whatever gender he or she chooses, and uh, was born a male alien and has decided to become a female human. Yeah, cool. <laughs> 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 uh, so, um, panelists, I think you're familiar with one of these characters. Desire is my absolute favorite
sometimes it can be, oh, this is just a trait of the character, uh, and that's that's perfectly fine. But I know that I'm, I try to be very conscious, you know, Bang Tango being a good example, because uh, it, it, it does not give anything away to say that, it, you know, because it's a noir story, nobody is clean. Like, everybody's, everybody's problematic in the story. So then, to put in a character, you know, Autumn is, is you know, is pre to have, you know, if she behaves poorly, if she behaves well, you know, then does that, how does that get taken as a straight writer? You know, okay, well, here's a straight, you know, white guy writing this character, you know, it's despair, you're allowed to do that. Um, and I'm conscious of it for about 30 seconds. And then I go, well, if I can only write straight white guys, then I'm really in trouble. It's going to be really boring. Um, and it would, it would really not be a, a good career. So, um, so then it's just about surfing for common humanity, you know, and, and even and in, a, in a noir story, everybody's sort of ratcheted it up and, and they're, they tend to be uh, able to be more caricaturish, but um, they're straight people uh, as well. But um, that's what I'm really going for, you know, it's just where is the humanity that comes, you know, from these characters and, and uh, gender is part of it, sexual identity is part of it. So just, I feel like as long as I'm using it, uh, benefit the story. Related story that I wanted to tell was that um, when I was on the X Men, uh, at the time the editor in chief, because uh, I thought it was a little bit similar, they wanted to make sure, and if any of you read the X Men 15 years ago, I might remember this, um, they did not like the idea, they didn't like the idea that Magneto was Jewish because he didn't want a Jewish villain. They didn't want to vilify Jews. That was the thing. And so we had to switch it. It was a editorial mandate that it turned out he was not actually the that uh, he, was a, he was a gypsy. Stand by the projector and just, you know, bark it out. Uh, hands again. 
you know, I see this uh, use of gender as a plot device to sort of as um, a way to entice voyeurism, even. And it's not getting at the humanity of the character. Um, and so if you're writing from the perspective of humanity, like what is this character's wants and fears and desires, you can really start to flesh out something real and relatable no matter who you are. My question was, what do you think is more helpful or even hurtful to the handling of a transgender character or even an LGBT character? Um, complete sensitivity or um, utter incorporation where what they are and what they deal with is treated as not a thing or whether it's treated as so much of a thing that it's a focus, that it's like a spotlight on. I actually come from the perspective of how that story is executed. I, I like the gamut of, you know, is the entire story about this? And the, the author, you know, treats it well, respectfully, the characters and the theme. Or if it's an incidental character. I mean, I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think where I get the turnoff is when it's clear that the author is ignorant. And it shows that, you know, that they've got some really unfortunate preconceived notions and it goes into the work that you're, you're reading and like this person does not know what they're talking about um, or they're showing you no signs of self-loathing that shouldn't be there for that character if you want them to be a possible model. Um, so that's where the line is personally drawn for me. Yeah, I think that's very well stated. It's uh, it's it's totally execution. I mean, I think of, uh, like I was just thinking about Boys Don't Cry, you know, as a film, like, it's so incredibly powerful and it's just about that
uh, a mental disorder, um, and that's how you need to be diagnosed in order to begin physical transition. And so, um, you know, I, I think in general, there's still that uh, understanding of trans people, and that is reflected in the art that, you know, and the media that comes from it. It's not always the other way around. Like, a lot of people like to attack media for, you know, informing people's consciousness, but it's very much, you know, a feedback loop.